Good morning. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson Show across the state of Georgia. The phone number, if you would like to be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC, E-R-I-C-K, which means 877-973-7425. If you would like to be a part of the program, we will take your phone calls. Uh, we have new news, actually, new news that has come out in the last 10 minutes or so. Uh, Ken Vogel from the uh, New York Times noting that the president of Ukraine had no knowledge that aid to Ukraine was being held up uh, when the president spoke to him at the end of July. There, he had no knowledge. The president said nothing of it in the phone call. And according to Ken Vogel at the New York Times, within the last 10 minutes, the president of Ukraine had no knowledge the aid was held up. Uh, the president of Ukraine didn't know the aid was held up until the end of August, and then the aid was released on September 11th. Hard to have a quo when there's no quid. Uh, when there's no knowledge of the quid to have the quo, I'm not. I, I this should change things. Of course, it won't for the Democrats. The Democrats have been out to get the president since day one. But it should. Um, if if the other party had no knowledge that they would get some benefit for doing what the president requested, it's not a quid pro quo. It, it's definitionally not. If they have no knowledge of of what what's going to happen. Um, so that should change things. Now, again, it, it won't actually change things because the Democrats have been out to get the president. And I, I need to, to do a, a starting point there. And the starting point is, well, let's go with the whistleblowers, the starting point. The whistleblower is apparently a CIA operative who worked in the White House for a while and then afterwards went back to the CIA. I don't know that it is a wise thing to have uh, the agency that found the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq be the agency that found the case for impeachment. What I do think is that the president has, since prior to becoming president, viewed himself as at war with an intelligence community out to get him. And, and let, let's be clear here. Uh, we see fancy TV shows that paint the CIA as, as competent, capable spies who go around the world doing things. And, and there are covert operatives within the CIA who do amazing work around the world. But by and large, the agency is another government bureaucracy filled with academic liberals who don't like the president's worldview. They don't like the president. The president doesn't like them. The president has long viewed that they were out to get him, and, and to some degree, I think some of them would love to get the president. I mean, the reality is, let's see, we had Reality Winner, who leaked information that was designed to to harm, harm the president. We had uh, the leak of the transcript of the Australian prime minister's phone call. We've had a number of leaks to media agencies clearly coming from within the intelligence community. We had the, the internal deliberations within the FBI that showed a clear contempt among some of the agents for the president. And the president is convinced these people are out to get him. So now here comes a CIA agent who is out to get the president. And, you know, I'll get to my own conspiracy theory here in a moment. Um, but there is no doubt now that the person out to get the president, the, the whistleblower, was a CIA operative who is now, or a CIA bureaucrat, I should say, who is now back at the CIA. All this is going to do is reinforce the president's distrust of the agency. And 
we're essentially back in a pre-9-11 state of affairs in this country. If you'll recall from uh, before 9-11, from the 9-11 Commission, one of the things that happened is the agencies didn't talk to each other. The CIA, the NSA, the DIA, the FBI, none of them really talked to each other. None of them gathered intelligence together and worked in concert. And one of the things that Congress decided to do, in addition to creating the Department of Homeland Security, is they would create a director of national intelligence who would kind of oversee all the different shops together. Everybody could flow information to a central repository who could then share it out. But that entire structure is dependent on a president that trusts his intelligence community. And we have a president right now who has never really trusted the intelligence community, but did give them latitude. But is he really going to do that now that he thinks they're out to get him? I mean, I I just, I, I think that's relevant. I think that's a concern. If the president of the United States cannot trust his intelligence community uh, to not be out to get him, we have a real communications breakdown situation and a real trust situation. Where is the president going to get his intelligence briefings from? And and if he gets them from the CIA, why is he going to take them seriously? I mean, we already have the president. Let's let's be honest here. The president has a level of paranoia about the people around him. I I, I don't necessarily blame him. Sometimes they really are out to get him. and, And in a lot of cases, these people are out to get him. But there is a level of unhealthiness to it as well. The president thinks a lot of people are out to get him. You know, if I were a Republican right now, one of the things that would keep me up at night, just as a side tangent here, is that the um, many of the Republicans in Congress don't like the president. I'm not talking out of turn here. I mean, for God's sakes, I went through a grocery store with one of them who was on TV saying nice things about the president and behind the scenes hates his guts. You've got Republicans in Congress, many of whom are leaving. You're having a great exodus of Republicans in Congress. You know, Obamacare passed when Barack Obama was president because you had a lot of Democrats who were not running for re-election who could finally do what they wanted to do without having to worry about getting re-elected. Every bad thing that comes out of Congress tends to rely on congressmen who are not seeking re-election. You get, so you got a bunch of Republicans leaving. How many Republicans leaving? 20, 30 Republicans leaving? They don't like the president. Most of them blame him for their forced departure. They don't want to be there. They don't think they can get reelected. And if I were the Republican president, I would be a little bit concerned that these people may decide to go along with the Democrats on impeachment, whether they think it's warranted or not. I mean, these are politicians. They are definitionally petty. And you couple that with a CIA operative who is out to get the president. I I think we got issues. We got trust issues for the president. It is a dangerous place for the country to be when the president doesn't trust the intelligence community. Doug Collins and I talked about that a little bit yesterday, the congressman from here in Georgia. And I think it's something to be concerned. We, we know that Ukraine did not know about the aid. When the president of Ukraine, and I'm, by the way, I'm working really hard to say president of Ukraine instead of president of the Ukraine. When president of Ukraine, which just doesn't sound right to me, when president of Ukraine talked to president of United States, oh wait, what <laughs> is president of the United States, president of Ukraine had no knowledge that the president of the United States had withheld funds. So everyone's saying there's a quid pro quo. I'm not sure how there can be when the one party had no knowledge of the quid for the quo. Um, that's where we are. Now, was there coordination? 
See, this this is my conspiracy theory. Now, I, I, I got I got a lot of friends who are peddling a conspiracy theory that somehow the CIA operative did this to protect Hillary Clinton and Joe Biden. And any day now, Andrew McCabe's indictment is coming and a FISA warrant is going to be released and, and we're going to find out all sorts of stuff. And they've been saying this for a while. I, I, I don't believe that uh, this is somehow to protect Hillary Clinton. I, I'm more prone to believe that this is to distract us from Jeffrey Epstein than it is to uh, distract us from Hillary Clinton. And I don't believe it's to anything related to Epstein either. I'm waiting for someone to credibly come forward and actually believe that. Oh, they're doing impeachment to distract people from the Jeffrey Epstein investigation. I, You know, someone out there actually believes this, and they just don't have a megaphone to actually say it. But I'm sure there's someone out there who really credibly believes this. I don't believe that. I don't believe that this is to protect Hillary Clinton. I don't believe the Joe Biden stuff. And, and frankly, I'm disappointed in a lot of people who seem to think that um, there there is a some sort of elaborate conspiracy to protect Joe Biden in all of this. Uh, there really are people who are out there who say this, that somehow or another, um, Joe Biden really did have the power to fire this Ukrainian prosecutor, that the power dwelled within Joe Biden as opposed to Barack Obama's power being given to Joe Biden. And I guess I need to address this for a moment. Joe Biden had no power to fire Ukraine's prosecutor. Joe Biden had no power to get on a plane to fly to Ukraine to fire the prosecutor. Joe Biden had no power to threaten to withhold money by getting on a plane to go to Ukraine to sit with the president of Ukraine and make the threat. He had no power. He was the vice president of the United States in office, once referred to by one of the former vice presidents as being nothing more than a warm bucket of spit. Biden had no power. The power came from Barack Obama. And Barack Obama, one of the prosecutor, fired. Now, I guess we could spin an elaborate conspiracy that Barack Obama somehow wanted to protect Hunter Biden. We, we, I mean, I, I'm willing to go there if you want to go there. Barack Obama wanted to protect Hunter Biden. Therefore, he sent Joe Biden to do the protection. But then I guess Angela Merkel also wanted to protect Hunter Biden because she wanted the prosecutor fired. Uh, I, I guess David Cameron, he wanted the prosecutor fired, so David Cameron must have wanted to protect Hunter Biden. Um, not Trudeau, whoever the, the prior prime minister was in Canada. I guess he wanted the guy protected. Did Did all of these different people want the guy protected? Because they all wanted the prosecutor fired. So I guess they all wanted Hunter Biden protected. Now, Barack Obama was the one who decided he was going to fire the guy on behalf of the Western Allies. Because the Western Allies were going to give a billion dollars in aid to Ukraine to help them combat the Russians. And they didn't want this prosecutor screwing things up. Because there had been several cases of Ukrainian oligarchs taking foreign dollars and stealing it for their own personal gain. So Obama sent Biden and Biden told the Ukrainians if they did not fire this guy, they weren't getting that billion dollars. And Biden bragged about it. Sure, he bragged about it on, on tape. We've got the audio of Joe Biden bragging about firing the guy. We Joe Biden made a big deal about it. This is one of his, I fight corruption, I can fight Donald Trump sort of things. That is, I'm desperately concerned about the backsliding on the part of uh, uh, Kiev in terms of corruption. They made, I mean, I'll, I'll give you one concrete example. I, I, I was 
not I, I, but it just happened to be that was the assignment I got. I, I, I got all the good ones. Uh, and uh, so I got Ukraine. And uh, um, I remember going over convincing our team, our <coughs> others, to convincing us that we should be providing for loan guarantees. And I went over, I guess, the 12th, 13th time to Kiev. And, uh, and I was going, supposed to announce that there was another billion-dollar loan guarantee. And I had gotten a commitment from Poroshenko and from uh, Yatsenyuk that they would take action against the state prosecutor, and they didn't. So they said they had. They were walking out to the press conference. Said, "No, nah, I said I'm not going to. We're not going to give you the billion dollars." They said, "You have no authority. You're not the president." The president said, "I said call him." <laughs> I said, "I'm telling you, you're not getting the billion dollars." I mean, that, that's the thing. Now, Biden, of course, is taking credit for it, but this was in the works. Had Joe Biden not been the one to do it, someone else would have done it. I mean, the president could have sent John Kerry, but he wanted to send Joe Biden. He sent Joe Biden to do these sorts of things. Now, this is also why Joe Biden can't be the presidential nominee for the Democrats, because Joe Biden's son has a history of going and getting business from places where Biden went for President Obama. So the Democrats, to be able to combat Trump and not muddy the water, they're going to have to get rid of Biden. But Biden didn't have the authority to withhold this money, this loan guarantee. It was Obama who did, and it was Obama who sent Biden. Now, Biden's puffing himself up in his rhetoric. It's what every politician does, tries to claim credit for the, for the bridge that got built when it was some bureaucrat somewhere who decided we needed a bridge, but the politician's going to take credit for it. Joe Biden's going to take credit for firing this guy because he went over and he's the one who said, you can't get the money till you fire the guy, but he was doing it on behalf of Barack Obama, but let him puff up his resume. It's getting him into trouble. The right is able to spin a conspiracy theory here, but all Biden did was what Barack Obama wanted him to do. There's no conspiracy theory here that Biden went over to protect his son. Now, you certainly had a Ukrainian prosecutor who tried to get into Trump's good graces to protect his job, who spun an elaborate conspiracy theory about Joe Biden doing all this stuff. You you absolutely did. But people can say anything. Joe Biden here is saying something not necessarily true. Neither did that prosecutor. I mean, the facts bear it out. Obama wanted the guy gone. Biden went over and delivered the message. They fired the guy because Barack Obama wanted it, not Joe Biden. There's no more truth to the fact that Joe Biden was doing this as a way to protect Hunter Biden than there is that Donald Trump was engaged in a quid pro quo. They're both not true. But Biden can't be the nominee because of it now, because it allows the Republicans to muddy the water. But that gets back into... Maybe there is something going on here. When did Adam Schiff see the whistleblower complaint? Do you know the the rules on how to file whistleblower complaints were changed in just the last month or so? Making it seem like maybe someone somewhere knew something and and wanted something done. And this is this is the people on the right pointing this out. The whistleblowers being represented coincidentally by someone who's a Democratic partisan. He's being funded by other Democratic partisans for his legal fees. There are all sorts of ways to play this. All sorts of ways to play this. But I, I think there's one way you can't play this. You can't play this as, as Joe Biden doing something he shouldn't have done when it was Barack Obama who wanted it done. But I also don't think you can play it as a quid pro quo. I, and I realize the left wants to do that. And I realize we got this whistleblower who wants to. 
I got a theory on the whistleblower. I want to run past you, though. It, it's my own personal conspiracy theory. I'll share with you when we come back. All right. I want to give you my own conspiracy theory. Actually, before I give you my conspiracy theory, let me, let me just tell you the truth. The Democrats have been out to get Donald Trump since before he got elected. They don't need an elaborate conspiracy theory. They don't need a protection scheme for Hillary Clinton. They don't need to protect Joe Biden for protecting his son. They don't need any of that. They, they don't need a distraction from Christopher Steele or FISA or, or anything else. Um, they, they, they don't need an elaborate conspiracy theory. Democrats have been wanting to impeach Donald Trump forever. And they were throwing stuff on the wall to see what stuck. And they think they have something that stuck. And so, of course, they're going to try to get him. Uh, they, they are privately somewhat hesitant that they can win in the Electoral College next year. Let, let me give you a, a quick data point right now. A Gallup job approval for each president at this moment, on this day, uh, Jimmy Carter, 30%, Ronald Reagan, 47%, George H.W. Bush, 68%, Clinton, 44%, George W. Bush, 50%, Barack Obama, 40%, Donald Trump, 43%. So at on this day, prior to re-election, Trump's at 43, Obama was at 40, Clinton was at 44. All clustered in there together. Heck, Reagan, for that matter, was at 47. Uh, so Donald Trump polls higher, according to Gallup, than Barack Obama did headed into re-election. So uh, on the grand scheme of things, I mean, Democrats, they want to rough up Trump headed into the election. And, you know, privately, the Democrats don't actually think they have the votes in the Senate to impeach Donald Trump. Maybe they will, but they don't right now. They know they don't right now. But they want to get Donald Trump. Uh, no elaborate conspiracy needed. They just want to end the presidency of Donald Trump. And if it requires going through an impeachment process, they think roughs him up, then yeah. And, you know, you can't say, I, I saw, uh, I think Sean Trinity from Real Clear Politics pointed this out earlier. You've only got two impeachments on which there's data. The Johnson one really doesn't count. Andrew Johnson from the 1800s. You got the, the Nixon impeachment process that actually he resigned, so it didn't move forward. And you got the Clinton one where he was found not guilty by the Senate. You can't really say we have enough data to say, oh, yes, the president's going to be helped by impeachment because of Bill Clinton. Well, what about Richard Nixon? There's just not enough data. But the Democrats will take their chances. The, the Democrats see the polling, the Quinnipiac polling, 55% of independent voters say they will never, ever, ever vote for Donald Trump. 55%. I mean, if the Republicans really ponder this polling, they should be hoping for a successful impeachment and maybe they'll take their chances with Mike Pence. But they're standing behind their man right now. The Democrats also privately, they know they don't have the votes in the Senate right now, but they also privately know a lot of these Republicans don't like the president. I mean, behind the scenes, these people talk to each other. And behind the scenes, the, the Republicans, they don't care for the president. So the Democrats do not need an elaborate conspiracy theory to try to beat the president. They just need hate. And they've hated this president forever. Remember in 2018, Republicans said, if the Democrats take back the House, they're going to impeach. And all these Democrats and members of the media, oh, no, no, we would never do that. Never. We'd never impeach Donald Trump. We're going to beat him at the bell box. No, they've wanted to impeach him for a while. And Rashida Tlaib came out quickly, remember, and let's impeach the, <laughs> and Democrats were horrified that she said publicly what they'd been saying privately. 
They've been wanting to impeach this guy for a while. They, they don't need an elaborate CIA conspiracy or a Clinton conspiracy or a Biden conspiracy or protection and distraction from anything. This is what they want to do. But I will give you my conspiracy theory on what's going on behind the scenes when we come back. It is Eric Erickson here, The Eric Erickson Show. If you would like to call in, be a part of the program, 877-97-ERIC. That's 877-973-7425, because you remember it's E-R-I-C-K. Now, you're not going to want to miss the Washington Examiner Political Summit from October 24th to 27th at Sea Island Resort. For those of you here in Georgia, it is right here. You just drive down the coast. It's your chance to meet Sarah Huckabee Sanders, hear from General John Kelly about the White House and President Trump's plan for 2020. You'll see Senators Marsha Blackburn and Rick Scott, Governor Scott Walker, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Congressman Devin Nunes, and Judge Ken Starr. Here's what you do. Go to summit.washingtonexaminer.com today. Use the code RADIO15 to get a 15% discount. That's summit.radio, I'm sorry, summit.washingtonexaminer.com. The promo code is RADIO15. It is one word, R-A-D-I-O-1-5. Go there now, summit.washingtonexaminer.com. And again, it's at Sea Island. It's here in Georgia. It is October 24th to 27th. no reason not to uh, not to attend. Just yeah, I mean it's down the coast. Just just you want to go take a beach vacation anyway in October, so go to Sea Island and hang out with some great folks. Summit.WashingtonExaminer.com. Okay, I'll, I'll give you my conspiracy theory. I think there were people who absolutely in the intelligence community want to get rid of Joe or want to get rid of Donald Trump. And I think that they they've always thought he was uh, a malevolent, would be third world kleptocrat. They've always tried to find a way to uh, leak stories. Remember, you had the the leak of the transcript with um, Malcolm Turnbull, the Australian prime minister. You had the leak of the transcript with the Mexican president. Uh, You had uh, national security documents leaked regarding the Russia investigation. You had the FBI agents. They've never liked Donald Trump. So you have this guy from the CIA who's uh, put in the White House who hates him. And maybe he's got a legal background. He probably has a legal background. But that whistleblower complaint strikes me as there were people working together to build that whistleblower complaint. It, It was not a solo guy. It was a group of people. He was the designated person to put his name on it. They put it together. They tipped off Schumer They tipped off Adam Schiff. They made sure the rules were changed on whistleblower. You know, it is actually very coincidental that the rules for whistleblowing was was actually changed. In fact, a a buddy of mine who was in the intelligence community um, does note this. Um, Where is his email? I had an email for it. It, it doesn't matter. Um, he he kind of lays out how the rules were changed within the last month on what could and could not be included in a whistleblower complaint. Coincidental, perhaps, but he's the one who actually um, lured me in on this. That did Schiff know something? Because who leaked the whistleblower complaint? Someone had to have leaked the whistleblower complaint. The Director of National Intelligence and the Inspector General, they don't think it was the whistleblower. Someone had to leak it. So was somebody, it was this a coordinated effort? 
to undermine the president? Did they put things in place to be able to do this? Now, here's the thing. Let's say they did. Let's say this is a, a real, you, you don't need a conspiracy theory for this. The Democrats were out to get the president anyway. But let's say that you had CIA operatives and others, people in the White House, uh, bureaucrats, deep state, and they wanted to get the president. Well, the president played into their hands, did he not? I mean, the odds are that the president, that his staff, some of them were concerned by the president raising Joe Biden on the skull. I mean, the, the odds are some of them were. But I also think we probably have a situation here where you had a bunch of CIA people, I shouldn't say a bunch, you had a few, you had people inside the White House who were careerists, who hated the president. They heard this like, oh, we got him now, we got him now, Let, let's, let's go, let's go, let's go, tip off, tip off the Democrats, let's go. But now we know this morning that Ukraine had no knowledge the money had been withheld. It's really hard to have a quid pro quo when there's no quid for the quo when you don't actually know that there's a holdup of money. And, and you see, part of the problem we have here as well is that when you look at the voices in the media who think, yeah, the president's guilty, he did it. Well, they're the people who they've wanted to get rid of the president all, all the time. And this is just, in their mind, more confirmation that the president is right or that they're right about the president. A few minds are being changed about this. Now, I, we should go into the director of national intelligence who testified before Congress as well, uh, who is, you know, he's not a partisan. He's not a partisan. And yet they're treating him as a partisan because he is the d director of national intelligence for Donald Trump. He's the acting director of national intelligence. He's the guy because the old guy left. The political appointee left, so now here comes this admiral who's got to serve in the position. He doesn't necessarily want to be there. And now the Democrats are treating him like dirt because he's Donald Trump's director of national intelligence. Sir, I'm asking a very simple oh. question. Who made the decision to defy the congressional subpoena? Somebody said we will not abide by the subpoena, and I'd like to know who that somebody was. Uh, Congressman, nobody did. I endeavored, once we no longer had urgent concern with the seven-day timeline, you know, to work to get the information to the committee. What I needed to do was to get work through the executive privilege hurdles with the Office of Legal Counsel at the White House. Uh, although this was the most important issue to me, you know, the White House has got quite a few other issues that they were dealt with. You know, I would have liked to have had, as I said to the chairman, that perhaps this moved a little faster than it did, but this is a very deliberate process. And finally, you know, it came to a head yesterday. So, with, you know, when I received the information on the 26th of August, we had seven days based on the Whistleblower Protection Act. All we did was lose those seven days. It may have taken longer than we would have liked or you would have liked, but you have the information. Okay, so no one withheld it. They, they had to run the traps on it. That, that's all. But, of course, the Democrats, the Democrats think there's a conspiracy. The Democrats think there's a cover-up. So what I'm trying to, to ascertain is, how would it run in all the mainstream media outlets? How did they get, even though they got a lot of it wrong, but they had the basics of it, that it involved the, the president of the United States talking to a foreign leader. So did anybody, you or anybody in your office, leak this to the Washington Post or NBC News? Ranking member, I lead the intelligence community. We know how to keep a secret. Uh, as far as how that got into the press, 
I really do not know, sir. I just know that it's all over the place, and as you said, it's been reported by different uh, uh, media for the past several weeks. Where they get their information from, I don't know. Mm, you know, he is in the intelligence community. Maybe he can find out. Of course, the Democrats wouldn't like that. It is very curious, the, this leak of the whistleblower complaint. How did it get into the press? How did the Democrats get a heads up on it? And that's what Devin Nunes there in that exchange is trying to get to. Now, um, what about the urgent concern issue? Uh, let's listen to this exchange between Adam Schiff and uh, Admiral McGuire. Let me ask you this. Do you think it's appropriate that you go to a department run by someone who's the subject of the complaint to get advice, or who is a subject of the complaint or implicated in the complaint, for advice as to whether you should provide that complaint to Congress? Did, did, did that conflict of interest concern you? Mr. Chairman, when I saw this report and complaint, Immediately, I knew that this was a serious matter. It came to me, and I just thought it would be prudent well, to I, ensure. I'm just asking if the conflict of interest concerned you. No, that sir. Well, sir, I have to work with what I've got, and that is the Office of Legal Counsel within the executive branch. Well, what what, no what other... you also had was a statute that says shall, and even then you said you had the discretion to provide it, but, but did not. Because it did not meet the matter of urgent concern that took away the seven-day timeline, I have endeavored to work with the Office of Legal Counsel in order to get the material to you, which you have provided to you uh, yesterday. What Adam Schiff is doing here, this is very important. Adam Schiff is trying to suggest to the Director of National Intelligence that he defy his chain of command. Now, th this is a, a guy with a military background who is trained to not defy his chain of command, who went through his chain of command. And, and Schiff says the, the statute says shall. But I, I forget who it was who pointed out yesterday that, you know, the, the contempt of Congress citation also says that um, the U.S. attorney shall prosecute anyone held in contempt of Congress. That hadn't been happening, has it? I mean, why was Eric Holder not prosecuted? The, the statute says shall. That, that's kind of a, a red herring there that, that Schiff is raising here. And what's really going on here is he wanted this guy to, to not comply with his chain of command. He didn't want him to refer something to the Office of Legal Counsel. Uh, it is essentially, you know, as much as the Republicans are, are grasping to develop a conspiracy about Joe Biden and the Ukrainians, the Democrats are trying to develop a conspiracy about the Office of Legal Counsel and the, the bureaucracy within the Justice Department. You know, as, as much as there are political appointees in the Justice Department, there are also careerists in the Justice Department as well. And in fact, given the high number of vacancies within the Justice Department that haven't been confirmed by the Senate, there are actually a lot of careerists who are running these operations. And yet the Democrats have a vested interest in undermining faith in those institutions as much as Republicans have a vested interest in undermining faith in other institutions. Now, here's a longer exchange between McGuire and Schiff. This is about a three-minute long exchange, but you need to hear this. I'll talk over it as necessary so you understand what's going on here. Would you agree that the whistleblower complaint alleges serious wrongdoing by the President of the United States? Uh, the whistleblower complaint in, involved uh, the, the allegation of that, 
Uh, it is not for me in the intelligence community to decide how the president conducts uh, his foreign policy or his interaction with leaders of other countries, sir. Well, I'm not asking you to opine on how the president conducts foreign policy. I'm asking you whether, as the statute requires, this complaint involved serious wrongdoing, in this case, by the President of the United States, an allegation of serious wrongdoing by the President of the United States. Is that not the subject of this complaint? Uh, uh, yes, that is the subject of the allegation of the complaint. And two things, Mr. Chairman. And, and let me ask you about that. Notice how he can't let the Admiral make his point. The Inspector General found that serious allegation of misconduct by the President credible. What he's not getting at is that the statute that requires um, stuff to be forwarded to Congress urgently, if it's urgent, precludes the president as being someone that applies in that statute. The president is not under that statute. Concerns about the president are not under that statute. Did you also find that credible? I did not criticize the inspector general's decision on whether or not it was credible. My question was whether or, not, whether or not it meets the urgent concern and the seven-day time frame that would follow but once I was notified. My question, so Director. I have, no, I have no, no question in his judgment that he considers it a serious matter. Well, the issue that I dealt and, with. And you would, you would concur, would you not, Director, that this complaint alleging serious wrongdoing by the President was credible? It's not for me to judge, sir. The, what my do, it, my is job, to, it is for you to judge, apparently. I mean, I, I agree it's not for you to judge. You shall provide it to Congress. But, but indeed, you did judge whether this complaint should be provided to Congress. Can we, can we at least agree? This is partisan grandstanding on Schiff's part again. Uh, the statute that says shall, one, it doesn't apply to the president, and two, it only applies to certain urgent matters. And the question is whether or not this was classified as an urgent matter, and Director of National Intelligence decided it, it wasn't. That the inspector general made a sound conclusion that this whistleblower complaint was credible? That is correct. That is uh, in the cover letter that's been provided to uh, the committee. I believe that's uh, also made public, the decision and the recommendation by the Inspector General that, in fact, the allegation was credible. Can we also agree that it was urgent that if the President of the United States was withholding military aid to an ally, even as you received the complaint, and was doing so for a nefarious reason, that is to exercise leverage over the President of Ukraine, to dig up manufactured dirt on his opponent. Can we agree that it was urgent while that aid was being withheld? There's two th there are two things. I'm talking about the lay, the common understanding of what urgent means, because Ur Inspector General said this was urgent, not only in the statutory meaning, this was urgent as everyone understands that term. Can we agree that it was urgent? It was urgent and important. But my job as the Director of National Intelligence was to comply with the Whistleblower Protection Act and the, adhere to the definition of urgent concern, which is a legal term. Yes, and one that does not apply to the president. That, again, it, it doesn't come up in the exchange, and you'd never know that from Adam Schiff, 
who's trying to make the director of national intelligence sound like the bad guy. And again, this is, I think, is deeply, deeply relevant here. As much as Republicans are struggling to try to claim that there is some elaborate conspiracy between Joe Biden and Ukraine, uh, the Democrats are trying to claim there's an elaborate conspiracy with the director of national intelligence and others, who, by the way, he would only, he's not in that position except Dan Coats retired. And to adhere to the meaning of the term shall. And to adhere to the meaning of the term shall, Adam Schiff ends the exchange there. Uh, But again, shall does not apply to the president. But who cares when you can have your day on TV? You know, Schiff actually began his uh, remarks by making up, fabricating part of the transcript, completely undermining his own position um, and saying he had no regrets in making up the transcript as opposed to actually reading the actual transcript. Uh, That guy himself did a discredit to the entire investigation yesterday. And to see these Democrats treat this guy, a careerist in the military, like he's some sort of partisan scum, was horrific. And we know, of course, if we head down the road of impeachment, it's only going to get worse. It's me. Welcome. All right. We are at some point going to have to examine the implications of Joe Biden, because I don't think Biden can stay on. As the Democratic nominee, we'll get there in the third hour. I do want to move into Georgia stuff later. But right now, I, I want to play this clip by by John Dean. John Dean was one of Nixon's hatchet men during uh, Watergate. And he is he's a he's a progressive. He, you know, people think Nixon was a conservative. He wasn't. I mean, Nixon gave us wage controls in the EPA. But listen to this John Dean stuff. I think there is very much a cancer growing on this presidency. There's a malignancy uh, that has spread uh, that is spreading. Uh, we have a president who doesn't seem to even care if this is happening. He has he has broken every norm uh, that we know of that uh, are the traditional guardrails for the presidency. Uh, he just doesn't seem to care about tradition. I don't think he has any knowledge of the presidency, Jake. He has no historical background. So he just plows ahead as if he was still in the real estate business and doing deals with people uh, that he is not really in a position to do those kinds of deals today. He has laws he has to obey. He has a constitution he operates under. He doesn't seem to appreciate any of this or care to put himself uh, in a circle of people who will advise him what he should and shouldn't do. You, You need to understand about John Dean. So he was Nixon's White House counsel and um, wound up cooperating with prosecutors, wound up being fired by Nixon, uh, had originally been a Goldwater conservative and and became progressive over time, uh, deeply critical of Republicans. He thought that uh, the Iran-Contra situation during the Reagan years was worse than Watergate. He thought George Bush going into Iraq was worse than Watergate. Basically, any scandal of our times, Uh, John Dean has considered, no matter how minor or major, that it was worse than Watergate. Uh, And and he's regularly trotted out on TV, and he says these sorts of things. He's considered an elder statesman by some, uh, and they do that, but I I, I wouldn't, wouldn't put too much stock in this. Meanwhile, Donald Trump, there's some audio that surfaced of him behind closed doors talking about the spy, and, and well, listen to this. But basically, that person never saw the report, never saw the call, meaning never saw the call, heard something, and decided that he or she, whoever the hell it is, sort of like almost a spy. I want to know who's the person that gave the whistleblower, who's the person that gave the whistleblower the information, because that's close to a spy. You know what we used to do in the old days when we were smart, right? The spies and treasons, right? 
used to handle it a little differently than we do now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, listen, again, I got to tell you that the the president has a real reason to distrust the intelligence community now. And I think this actually ends badly for all of us that the president is unable to, unwilling to trust the intelligence community. And, and if we're honest here, can anybody blame him for being unwilling? Uh, although I do have to tell you, uh, Jeffrey Tubin is an unlikely person to, to play audio from on this. Jeffrey Tubin is the CNN analyst, uh, very much of the left, uh, does not like conservatives, uh, deeply hostile to the president. And he watched all the proceedings in the House yesterday, uh, particularly with the director of national intelligence testify and listen to his conclusion. There was sort of an air of unreality about it because the uh, the complaint and the transcript, the partial transcript, have now been turned over. So, so the fight didn't really have that much juice to it. Yeah, didn't have much juice to it. Um, I don't know where this ultimately goes, but I think the Democrats very much want impeachment. CNBC actually has a story out that the longer this drags out, the more sympathy builds for the president. Republicans know it. The Republicans have an interest in dragging this out to help the president. And I, there's some truth to that. I, I, I absolutely think there's truth to that. We'll see where it winds up. When we come back, though, the Georgia angle on all this, where does everybody in Georgia line up? I'll give you that. We're going to move over to Facebook Live as well from Twitter and Facebook, or YouTube. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. But the problem growing businesses have that keeps them from knowing their numbers, well, they got a bunch of different systems that don't work together. They've got one system for accounting. They've got another system for sales. They have another system for inventory and so on. It's just a big inefficient mess. Taking up too much time, too many resources, it hurts the bottom line. Introducing NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. It gives you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, and accounting orders, and HR instantly, right from your desktop or your phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. Right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insight with a free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com slash eric. That's netsuite.com slash eric to download your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, netsuite.com slash eric. Good morning. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric erickson show across the state of georgia and on facebook live this hour you can go to facebook.com slash ew erickson heck you can follow me around social media at ew erickson twitter facebook instagram youtube you name it uh the phone number if you would like to be a part of the program 877-973-7425 uh one last reminder for you before i get into anything else uh you've got a chance to meet sarah huckabee sanders and hear from General John Kelly about the White House and President Trump's plan for 2020. Uh, you can go to the Washington Examiner's Political Summit. It's October 24th to 27th. It's at Sea Island Resort. Uh, it is, you'll have Sarah Huckabee Sanders, John Kelly, Senators Marshall Blackburn, Rick Scott, Governor Scott Walker, Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, Congressman Devin Nunes, Judge Ken Starr, all deeply relevant now with impeachment afoot. Um, go to summit.washingtonexaminer.com today. You use code radio 15, get a 15% discount on your package. That's summit.washingtonexaminer.com. The promo code is radio 15, R-A-D-I-O-1-5. Um, okay. Now, 
Uh, where is Georgia lining up on impeachment? A very interesting audio yesterday from Johnny Isaacson. Uh, now I say audio and, and come to think of it, it was a statement. Um, I don't have the audio for it, but Johnny Isaacson saying th- that he's not going to rush into a conclusion on um, where to stand on the issue of impeachment. He's going to essentially let things play out for a while. And that's probably a wise thing for him to do. Now, of course, David Perdue has come out very stridently and said absolutely not. We had Doug Collins on the show yesterday saying that uh, there's just not a there there. This is a partisan effort, and he's absolutely right. It is. But Johnny Isaacson, he uh, is the elder statesman in the Senate. He is leaving the Senate, one of the few people departing the Senate. He's doing so at the end of the year. Uh, he he doesn't want to undermine his uh, legislative prerogatives with the president. But he also he's he's been down this road before, and he doesn't he wasn't there for the Clinton uh, impeachment. But at the same time, he was a politician at the time when it happened. And went into the Senate, uh, replaced Newt Gingrich, first you'll recall, in Congress. Uh, and then from there went to the U.S. Senate. He, he's He's been there for a while now. He's been in politics for even longer. And he has no need to rush out and do something, particularly when, when Isaacson is concerned with the behavior of the president. Now, what's so interesting is, what about those who might replace him? Well, if impeachment blows up in the Democrats' face. I I certainly think Doug Collins has a very good argument for himself being the senator. I don't know that the governor would appoint Doug Collins to the Senate, and the reason I don't know is because the governor has shown a a propensity to use picks like this to expand the base, and Collins certainly would fire up the base. I mean, I I would go door-to-door around the state for Doug Collins, but I don't know that he expands the base. And I think the governor's looking for someone. Um, now, regarding that, I, I want to read you. This is up at the AJC on um, the people who are applying. More than 450 people have applied to be the next U.S. senator, uh, mostly non-politicians who won't be seriously considered. There are a few big names. Uh, there is Doug Collins, the U.S. congressman, Tom Price, the former Health and Human Services Secretary, who also was in Congress and the Senate Majority Leader in our, he was the Senate Republican Leader, at least, in the Georgia legislature for a while. Many potential appointees have not submitted their name. Uh, Jeff Duncan is not in there. Tom Graves is not in there. Karen Handel is not in there. Gary Black is not in there. Jan Jones is not in there. The no-shows extend well beyond those. Um, Few members of the judiciary have applied. Well-known business leaders have abstained. High-ranking law enforcement officials have abstained. So what gives? Some are waiting until the last minute to apply, but the governor hasn't set a cutoff date. Nobody knows when the cutoff date will be. Others don't want to apply unless they're certain to be finalists. That's definitely true of judges who don't want to be accused of being political, and and prosecutors. There are also business leaders who don't want to backlash. And many candidates simply, we're going to sit this one out. If Karen Handel were to apply, it would make it hard for her to also win in the 6th District because people would say, oh, she's just politically motivated. Chris Carr has not maneuvered for the job and probably isn't going to apply. B.J. Pack, the uh, U.S. attorney, he's not going to apply. 
One potential applicant from the judicial branch said the open application process has taken some good names off the table. Yes. Yes, the open application process has. Behind the scenes, a lot of Republicans are deeply bitter that Brian Kemp went this direction. I got to tell you guys, okay, can we be real honest here? Sitting up in my chair, if you, you, you hear me swiveling around, can't see me on Facebook. Let me be really honest with you. Most of the Republican establishment, and, and this, it, to some degree, there's a, I, I don't want to stretch too far and make it a Trump angle, but there are a lot of Republicans who really don't like Brian Kemp behind the scenes. Establishment Republicans, they were all Kegel guys. Kegel was their path to power. And I mean this not disrespectfully at all towards Casey Kegel. Were he the Republican nominee, I would have supported him. He wasn't my first choice. I much prefer Brian Kemp, but I would have supported Kegel. But there are a lot of the longtime people in Atlanta who supported Casey Cagle. And let me, let me explain to you the reason why. It's very much tied to the Speaker of the House situation, where you have Republicans who have held on to power for a very long time, and they've convinced themselves that all will be well as long as they're not too out there. As long as they're not too hardcore, as long as they're not too conservative, they can be good business Republicans and pat the social conservatives on the head, give them a few things they want, but as long as they're not too conservative, everything will be fine. They are the reason for so much cynicism in politics. They love pro-lifers as long as they don't have to vote on pro-life legislation. They are horrified by the creeping antagonism to Christianity in the United States, but don't make them vote for religious liberty protection. They love them some babies, but don't ask them to protect churches who want to help with adoption and, and pro-life healthcare clinics. And they love to hunt and shoot guns and raffle guns and go to gun rallies, but don't ask them to vote to expand the Second Amendment. I mean, that was the thing that did Casey Cagle in is that... Um, Clay Tippin's audio, the audio recording, where behind the scenes, the lieutenant governor of Georgia at the time was essentially saying that he can't really do what he's on the campaign trail saying, that he's saying what he's saying to get people to support him, but it doesn't really mean he's actually going to do it. And it ratified some of the concerns about him and the cynicism about him. And the fact of the matter is, the truth of the matter is, Many of the Republicans at the state level in the state agreed. Many of the Republicans at the state level, they really don't want anything to do with the grassroots base. They, they think the grassroots base is kind of fringy. And, and frankly, there are a lot of fringy people in the grassroots base. I, you know, I do events around the state with the conservative grassroots, and I'm sometimes horrified by what you see. I am. And, of course, I'm not afraid to say it there because I'm not running for election. I'll say, uh, no, no, um, put your nonsense conspiracy theory sign away. But they've actually got to campaign and, and get these people's votes. I don't. 
Uh, and a lot of them like people. I hate people in general, so I, I'm okay being blunt. But uh, these guys, they say and do things publicly that behind the scenes, privately, they ridicule. And here comes Brian Kemp, somebody who actually says what he means and does what he says, tries to keep his promises. When he campaigns on an issue, he really means it like fetal heartbeat. And they're appalled that he would do that because he's going to hurt the Republicans. It's about power. It's not about advancing power. It's not about doing anything. And you got to remember, most of the Republicans who were in those positions, they were Democrats long before they were Republicans. They just changed the letter next to their name to keep themselves in power. And the Republican Party at the time lined up behind him and said, oh, this guy's got a proven track record. Let's keep with him, even though he was a Democrat yesterday. Brian Kemp's actually an elected Republican. He, he's actually been a Republican. He he was a Republican the whole time. Brian Kemp was in a Senate district uh, that was a Democratic district where the Republicans rallied at a time in, in the early 2000s to get him into the state Senate in the Athens area where they're like, if, if this seat can flip, it is a sign the state has flipped to the Republicans. And sure enough, he got elected. I remember all the Republicans at the time, they were really excited by that seat. Ironically, you know, it was Casey Cagle in the 90s. He was one of the very first seats to flip um, from Democrat to Republican. And, and then here comes Brian Kemp in the 2000s running for the state Senate, where if, if his seat flipped, it, it would actually be really meaningful because it was from a Democratic area that was drawn for the Democrats and it looked like it could become Republican. And sure enough, it did. And, you know, Kemp, if we're honest about it, Kemp is actually more moderate but he has a lot of conservative convictions and he's certainly gotten more conservative over time. And it's not, it's not a uh, campaign of convenience, a conservatism of convenience. He actually really means these things. He actually believes them. And that's Brian Kemp has committed the greatest sin in office is to actually believe the things you say on the campaign trail. And one of the things Brian Kemp decided he wanted to do is to weed out some of the opportunists. Some of the people who would say or do anything in public as long as they don't have to, or say and do anything in public as long as they don't have to vote for it or work on it in private. Like school choice in the legislature. You know how many Republicans just uh, campaign on school choice and then suddenly they don't show up the day it's got to be voted on to make sure it dies? Kemp wants to weed those people out. And the best way to weed them out is sunlight. The best sunlight is great disinfectant. And so he made people apply for the process. There were a lot of these people behind the scenes. They would love to be rid of Brian Kemp by going to Washington. But they're not going to apply publicly. They don't want to be publicly out there as someone who wants to be in the Senate because they're too ambitious for that. You know, the, the people who apply, they're actually not the super ambitious ones. Unless you applied on the first day, you apply on the first day, you're probably really ambitious or crazy. But if you're biding your time and you're waiting, you're, you're not as ambitious as some. It's the ones who don't want to apply who are the most ambitious. Because they're the ones who don't want you to know how ambitious they are. And they're the ones really upset with this process. They're the ones really upset. He's forcing them to stick their neck on the line. Now, let's be fair. The governor has in doing this put some people in very awkward positions. Let's take Jeff Duncan. Jeff Duncan would be an excellent U.S. senator, but Duncan has decided uh, not to apply, as of yet at least, and largely because he's only just gotten in office. It, it might not send the best signal that he's ready to go on to the next thing if he did. At the same time, behind the scenes, I can tell you there are people in the state Senate 
and I want to be very clear with me saying this, very, very clear, that this is coming from people in the state Senate. This is not coming from people in the governor's office. I have gossip. Gossip is a sin. Maybe I shouldn't tell you. Um, I, I have news. I have news from the Senate. The odds of Jeff Duncan becoming the senator are probably less than zero into like negative territory. It's not to say it can't happen, but it, it's, it's going to be a very tough climb for Jeff Duncan for two very good reasons. According to people in the Senate, the governor does not want Butch Miller, the president pro tem of the Senate, does not want him to become the lieutenant governor. And if he did become lieutenant governor, the Georgia's constitution has a, a problem in that it is very unclear whether or not there would have to be a special election. Would Butch Miller become the lieutenant governor permanently or must there be an, a special election to ratify that? And the governor doesn't want to have the legal fight on that front and he doesn't want Butch Miller to be the lieutenant governor. So it's not going to happen for Jeff Duncan. That is from the Senate. Now, I haven't talked to the governor's office. I have specifically not talked to the governor's office on this issue, and the reason I haven't is because if I say anything, people are going to attribute it to the governor's office. This is from people in the Senate who are convinced the governor does not want Butch Miller, and a lot of it has to do with school choice and school reform. The governor has a big school initiative he would like to pursue. He wants to keep uh, working on school choice, and Butch Miller is one of the biggest obstacles in the state legislature to that issue. According to members of the Senate, so I'm just telling you what I'm being told. Uh, Duncan's probably not going to be happening. That's probably why he's not applied, as he probably knows it. And I would expect if I'm hearing this from the senators I'm hearing this from, this is probably coming from Duncan, not from Kemp. Um, and so he probably knows. Uh, and the rest of them, well, it's going to be very interesting because they're going to be forced to take a position on Trump. I mean, I don't if if Johnny Isaacson's going to be in the Senate until January. And the, and the Democrats want to be done with impeachment before then. The governor really has no incentive to name a replacement right now. Drag it out. Drag it out. Wait till the end of the year. See what happens with the Democrats in impeachment. And maybe you spare a Republican from having to take a position they may not want to take on the issue. That makes sense to me. That would be smart politics. It is Eric Erickson here, and you can call in and be a part of the program if you like, 877-973-7425, 877-973-7425. You know, I, if you have listened to this program at all since I've been doing it, gosh, we I guess we've been on, what is today's date? We've been on for uh, slightly more than a month now. One of the things I have said several times is that Ted Terry is the gift that keeps on giving to David uh, Perdue. Now, you may not know who Ted Terry is. Allow me to tell you who Ted Terry is. Ted Terry is the mayor of Clarkston, Georgia. Uh, by all accounts, a very amiable, nice guy. He supports uh, recreational marijuana. He supports um, impeaching the president. He supports $15 minimum wage. He supports uh, draconian measures for climate change. He supports all sorts of stuff Ted Terry does. And now today, Ted Terry is out in favor of Medicaid for all. He wants to end private health insurance altogether. He has a Facebook post out where he says he's, he's flat out opposed 
uh, to private health care insurance, and he flat out wants uh, to end uh, private health insurance in the United States. Now, this is a gift to David Perdue. The reason being is because the Democrats largely, they're in a rush to out-progressive Ted Terry. Poor old John Ossoff. I mean, John Ossoff a year ago had, had women w- wanted to ha- carry his baby. I mean, he was just, he was the, the, the darling of the Democratic crowd nationwide. They loved them some John Ossoff. He was the, the, the young guy who he was single, even though he was dating, and, and the Hollywood actresses loved them some John Ossoff, and he was going to send a message to Donald Trump until he didn't. But he was going to build a coalition. He was going to stand up there, and, and he was going to give some glorious oratory on, on the grand progress we would make and turn in Georgia blue. He even adopted Barack Obama's candidacy. That was the funniest thing about John Ossoff. If you heard him one-on-one, he sounded nothing like it. But when he got on stage, he tried to mimic uh, Barack Obama's cadence and how he spoke. He wanted to give people hope and change and dreams. And he was going to save us from the dark days of Donald Trump. And he lost. But that's okay. Because remember, it was a moral victory. It's always a moral victory when Democrats lose. And he disappeared. He was going to build a movement. He was going to build a coalition. He was going to work after he lost to make Georgia blue and then poof, gone. Where did he go? Back to his job, supposedly making documentaries and whatnot. Uh, he did get married. He did finally get married. People were giving him a hard time that he had stringing his girlfriend along. He finally got married to her. And then he disappeared. Well, now he's back. Uh, we, we've had the Stacey Abrams momentum, and suddenly John Ossoff wants a piece of the action again, and he's 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 suddenly trying to say that, you know, I, I helped inspire this thing. You can't take credit when Stacey Abrams is taking credit, buddy. He hadn't figured that part out. Stacey Abrams gets all the credit now. He, he He's buttoned in where he doesn't belong at this point. But he's trying. He, he's, he's doing his best. Uh, he, he's trying to, to stand out. And I don't know that it's going to get him what he wants. The problem here is that they've all moved on. The, the Democrats have moved on from John Ossoff. They've gone to Ted Terry. Ted Terry, unlike John Ossoff, he was on Queer Eye for the Straight Guy getting a makeover where they insisted he trim his La Resistance beard. Yeah, that's right. Ted Terry is such a progressive, he grew a resistance beard, refused to shave as long as Donald Trump was president. The Queer Eye for the Straight Guy people, they made him trim it up. And Hollywood loves him now. They, they've kind of moved on. Kind of like John Ossoff is George's Beto O'Rourke. Everybody's moved on from him at this point. Hello there. It is Eric Erickson. You can call in and be a part of the program at 877-973-7425. 877-973-7425. I, I want to talk about an issue I am passionate about and probably none of you are. This is the point where my producer rolls his eyes. Uh, and I want to give a shout out to WRGA 98.7 FM in Rome, Georgia. They have this story. I have been meaning to talk about this the entire week, but impeachment happened. And so I haven't had time to talk about it because, again, impeachment happened. It's a big deal. And I'm outraged by it. And the people in Rome, Georgia, should be outraged about this. The Rome City Commission has approved an ordinance that paves the way for the installation 
of speed detection cameras in school zones in the city limits. City manager Sammy Rich said the ordinance would allow the city to enter into a future agreement with the provider. Thus far, we have had a discussion and a presentation, as you may recall, from a group called Red Speed. This follows the prescribed procedures of the state of Georgia that would allow for the automated ticket enforcement safety device. The vote was not unanimous. Commissioner Wendy Davis was one of the no votes. Commissioner Jamie Doss also voted against the ordinance. Uh, Jamie Doss and Wendy Davis are... I had to mute my microphone to sneeze. I'm allergic today to the news that Rome is going to put in speed cameras. Wendy Davis and Jamie Doss... If you know them, if you're in the Rome area, if you're listening on WRGA right now, in fact, I know you've got to be listening because I went to the WRGA website to pull this up and there's my ugly face at the top of the site saying on air now, the Eric Erickson show. It's me right up there. You're listening. If you're in Rome, you need to thank Wendy Davis and you need to thank Jamie Doss for opposing this. Do you know why Georgia has authorized speed cameras? And just so you understand what this is, is right now they're putting them in school zones, but you can be sure this is a trial run. There's even a question as to whether or not this is legal. And the reason being is because the law did not pass until after the time for the legislature to expire happened. Nobody's challenged that in court. The legislature can only run so many days, and this vote happened after midnight of the last day, uh, arguably is unconstitutional. They dragged it out, but they still passed it. And, and do you know why they passed it? Do you know who the lobbyist for the automated traffic enforcement speed detection devices are, is? Do you know who the lobbyist is? David Ralston's son. That's right. The lobbyist who was in favor of the speed detection cameras is David Ralston's son. And they put this through at the very last minute after midnight of Sinai, and they passed it. And they're saying, well, it's for the children. This is for the children. We're going we're gonna to allow people to do this for the children because we got too many people speeding through school zones. And, you know, I, I got to tell you, we do in Georgia. We, we got people speeding through school zones, and it's not good. It's also a tax on poor people because rich people, they've got the time of the day to fight it and go to court and say, I wasn't driving my car that day. Rich people have the opportunity to fight this. The poor people don't. This is a scam, and they're going to expand it. Automated traffic enforcement devices, I think, are an abomination. And, you know, in Germany now, people go around when they see these things, and they, they keep baseball bats in their cars, and they break them, and they should. Uh, in Washington, D.C., where most people in Washington, D.C., live out of the District of Columbia, they've put them everywhere because they know that the people who are going to get them are going to be people who don't even live in the, in the District of Columbia. You should be virulently opposed to speed detection devices, and Rome, Georgia, is one of the first places in this state that has a lot of them. Now, I hate red light traffic cameras, too. 
I think red light traffic cameras should be banned. Do you know that uh, in areas where they have red light cameras, one of the tricks they do is they decrease the amount of time for yellow light? I mean, there have been study after study after study after study that show that that once a, a county or a city puts in traffic cameras, they reduce the time for a yellow light so they can increase the number of tickets because they want revenue. This is the situation, too. They want revenue. And it's all a scam, folks. It's all a scam. I, I, I absolutely adamantly think that this needs to be fought and the people of Rome should stand up. And if you're in Rome, you need to tell your city councilor, your, your city commission that this is wrong. You should be outraged in Rome and, and get over yourself with that. Oh, but they're only putting it because people are running through the they're going to the school district and somebody may have people been running over children in Rome. Have people been running over kids in Rome in school zones? Have they? Have people been running over children in the school zones in Rome? Answer the question. No. No, they haven't. This is a revenue generator. They speed cameras. Oh, it's 2 p.m. School's not out for an hour, but let's turn on the revenue generating machine and make some money off the citizens of Rome. That's what's happening here, people. I would be opposed. You should be opposed. Everybody should be opposed to this. Uh, one of the commissioners who spoke out in favor of the ordinance, uh, Evie McNeese, Evie McNeese. The thing about this is if you obey the law, you're not going to be penalized. It's real simple. It's just a way to keep our kids safe. Were they unsafe before? Before the cameras, right now, right at this, because the cameras aren't there. Are your children unsafe because there's not a camera in a school zone? Evie McNeese, McNeese, she thinks your kids are unsafe because there's not a camera right outside the school right now to take pictures of people who are going five miles over the speed limit. Oh my gosh, the horror, the children may die. I really am opposed to speed cameras. They are revenue-generating machines. The legislature gets to lie like these commissioners on the Rome City Commission. They get to lie and say, it's, it's, it's really, it's about, the, it's about the children. It's about the safety of the children. Well, if the children were unsafe, why weren't the police out there? If the children aren't safe, People could still speed through these things, and there's no one there to stop them. It's just a camera. This is about making money off the citizens of Rome, and it's not going to stop in Rome. It's going to go to Jasper and Dalton and Vidalia and Valdosta and Athens and Clarksville and Blue Ridge and Hiawassee and Atlanta and Carrollton and Columbus and Macon and Albany and Savannah. Because local governments need to find ways to raise revenue. And so what they're going to say is, it's for the children. It's for the children. We have to keep the children safe. And they're going to find a way to do a backdoor tax on you. You go one mile over the speed limit in this school zone, you're going to get a ticket in the mail saying, you were speeding. Mind you, school wasn't out yet, and there were no children to be seen anywhere, but by God, the school zone speed limit was in effect, and you got 
a tax in the form of a ticket. And if you don't pay it, you're going to jail. Except there's a problem here. This is a private company. This isn't the state doing it. This isn't the city doing it. It's a private company. They're contracting with a private company to serve as law enforcement in Rome. Frankly, the state Supreme Court should declare this unconstitutional. But you know what it ultimately is? It's a tax on poor people. This is actually a tax on poor people. Why? Because if you're a bus- you're in downtown Rome, you're one of the, the multi-person law firms in downtown Rome. What's the the furniture store that used to be up there? I I used to run a congressional campaign up there back in the early 2000s. Uh, the Frick's uh, Furniture, I think. Wonderful furniture, wonderful people. You work there. You work at WRGA, where you're listening to me right now in Rome. You know what's going on? You're going to have the time and talent to find someone to write a letter and say, I'm sorry. That's not me. I don't know who was using my car that day. There are several of us in our household, but it's not me. You're going to be able to go to court and say, I, I, I don't know. It wasn't me. I wasn't there today. I don't know who had my car. I was out of town. Here's my Delta ticket. I was out of town. It's the poor person who's late for work who if they miss their job, they're going to be fired. They're going through the school zone. It's 2 p.m. School's not out for another hour. The little flashy yellow lights have just come on and the cameras start rolling. And oh, that person, they slowed down, but they didn't slow down enough. Let's send that person a ticket. They're not going to have time or the talent or the knowledge of how to contest the ticket. So let's tax the poor person. Let's make the poor person's life more miserable. Let's punish that person. That's what the Rome City Commission has decided to do. And that's what other city councils are going to do. I don't mean to pick on Rome, but Rome is where they're doing it. What about the other cities in Georgia? They're going to do it too. You know, they've already got them on on school buses on school buses. Now you pass a school bus, the school bus driver can capture your information with a camera and they can send you a ticket in the mail. And I'm okay with that because you don't need to be passing a school bus. When a school bus is stopped and kids are getting off the bus, there's an actual hazard there. But when the flashy little yellow lights come on at 2 PM and school doesn't actually get out until 3 PM and they start giving you tickets, they're just trying to generate revenue off you. And they can say they're doing it for the children all they want. That's, it's, it's wrong. It's wrong with stoplights. It is wrong. And our legislature should stand up to people. And in fact, I may have to on my other show too, I may have to start championing this every day now. Is we should be banning red light cameras and we should be banning these speed detection devices in school zones. Because this is a start. You know, when they did the when they did the red light cameras, they said, oh, well, we're not going to do anything else. We're, we're not going to do anything else. It's just going to be red light cameras. That's all. That's all we're going to do. And then suddenly they're doing this. Well, but it's just for the children. It's just for the children. We got to save the children. The children got to be safe. The children aren't safe right now, so we got to do something to save the children. 
but then it's going to be something else. Oh, well, you know, the children, the children can walk down the street outside of school. We need these cameras elsewhere, down at the bottom of steep hills where people coast down the hills and pick up speed. We need a camera there because there may be a children at the bottom of that hill thinking of crossing the street. We got to protect that children. You just watch. And you got the speaker's son as the lobbyist for this. He's going to make sure he gets through the house. It's going to be incremental. The only way to do something now is for you to get mad. If you're in Rome, to stand up to your city council, your city commission, and say, no way. Wendy Davis, on the Commissioner Wendy Davis in Rome, stood up and said no. Commissioner Jamie Daw stood up and said no. They're heroes. They are heroes. Uh, if you know, what's, what's his name? What's his name? What's his name? Uh, city manager Sammy Rich. Sammy Rich, you should give him a peace of mind. And say, no, we're not going to support these things. TC in Athens, welcome to the program. Oh, thank you, Eric. Uh, I'm really, really glad you're talking about this today because I, I haven't heard a lot uh, about it. And uh, I just wanted to find out what you, what do you think is the way we can really fight this? Uh, I had one idea uh, myself, and I thought that if anybody receives these red light tickets or speed tickets, if uh, they can go to the county where they got it, and start doing freedom of information requests to find out how many of these citations are getting, um, how do I say it, uh, put away, or right. how many uh, do not even make it to court. Uh, are these counties uh, throwing some of them away if, if, uh, if it's government officials driving cars or uh, people oh, they you know, know. Th that's actually know a great some point. of these tickets are not getting thrown away? It, it's like in Atlanta where it turns out that they weren't given tickets to city officials who were parking in, in zones with meters That when they showed up and saw a city city license plate or, or they knew the person worked for the city, they weren't giving them tickets. That's a great idea. Now, part of the problem here is got to remember, it's a private company doing this, and it, it's one way that the cities get uh, to uh, avoid having to comply with the Open Records Act request as they outsource everything to the to these companies. And if the company doesn't get a reply, then it goes to the city. So it'd be interesting to, to make the Open Records Act request apply to all these things, all, all these companies as well. That may be a step forward, uh, force that through. I, but honest to goodness, I think what you got to do is you have to raise holy hell with your city councilman and your county commissioner. You absolutely need to raise holy, unbridled hell with them. Um, you people in Rome where this is starting to happen should just terrorize this dude, and I, and I mean that metaphorically. You should be showing up at city council meetings. You should be calling your city commissioners. You should be doing all of this. You should be raising cane with them. You should be so outraged that they're scared to go down the street thinking you're going to be there yelling at them. Don't do harm to them. Don't make threats to them. Just make them understand that everywhere they go, you're going to be there to complain. That every time there's a city council meeting, you're going to show up and complain. You're going to call them. They're, they're your public officials. They need to take your phone call. Call them and tell them this is a bad idea. Write them letters and say this is a bad idea. Start in Rome. What is the, the Rome City City Commission? Let's see. I, I will tweet out. If you follow me on Twitter, uh, twitter.com slash EW Erickson, Rome, Georgia City Commission. I'm going to send out their website right now on Twitter. Here we go. City Commission, Rome and Floyd County, uh, sending out their contact information. Where's the government? Uh, the city County, the Rome administration, city committees, the, the county, the city commission. Here we go. 
Um, I am going to send you this right now so you have a way to contact them and you can tell them this uh, speed detection within the school zones is a terrible idea. Good Lord, there are a lot of these people. There's your problem right there too. You got too many of them on the Rome City Commission. But I would absolutely light into them, uh, I mean, as if your trash hadn't been collected in four weeks, light into them and be livid with them because this is unacceptable. We'll get back into the impeachment stuff here in a minute. But first, so remember, I read you the story the other day, uh, Carson King is the guy who was on, what, game day on ESPN holding up the sign wanting beer money and people gave him a million dollars. Anheuser-Busch was going to put his face on beer, and he donated the money to the Children's Hospital. Well, the Des Moines Register decided to write about him. And the reporter, Austin, what's what's his name? Um, the reporter, um, in any event, it, it doesn't matter. The reporter decided to unsurface his tweets from when he was 16 years old in 2011 and destroy him. Well, the Des Moines Register, they're not firing the editor who is okay with it. They're firing the reporter who did it. Uh, I think the editor probably needs to be fired as well uh, for trying to destroy the kid and letting the reporter go forward with it. The reporter, though, what's so interesting here is the reporter several years ago had put up a number of tweets where he used the N-word a lot. And when those tweets came out, he locked up his Twitter account and apologized for his prior tweets. The hilarious, ironic part of it is days before this, this reporter for the Des Moines Register was ridiculing people for a belief in cancel culture. Cancel culture is essentially what we're seeing in social media, where people go back and pull up your tweets from a decade ago and say, oh, you're a terrible person. Look what you said 10 years ago. You can't get a job now. Uh, what was his name? Kevin Hart, the comedian who was going to host the Oscars. It's what he wanted to do in life. It always wanted to host the Oscars. And people went back and found that in, in sometime in the mid-2000s, he made a joke where he used the F word to refer to a gay person. Oh, can't have him hosting the Oscars in 2019 because look what he did in 2007. Awful. He must be canceled. And this reporter actually tweeted out an article saying cancel culture is not real. People are just being held accountable for the bad things they've done. Well, this reporter being held accountable for the bad things he's done, I guess. Uh, he's out of a job. The Des Moines Register report. I, I, I got to think, though, there are more people there who should be out of a job. If I, you know, I got asked this question. I was speaking at Noonan last night, not in Noonan, in Fayetteville. Uh, I got asked by the Fayette County Republican Party to come up and talk last night, and I did. And, and somebody asked me about cancel culture and this story, and I said, the problem here is that no one has an incentive to improve. If you're holding someone to stuff they did a decade ago, if you're holding a 20-something to stuff they did as a teenager, you have no incentive to grow up and mature. If, you know, the person you are now as a 20-something, this guy, I think he's 24, 
he's different from who he was at 16. He's on his own now. He's not living in his parents' house, probably. He's got his own job. He's paying taxes. He's made his way through college. He's got a different worldview, or his worldview slightly shifted. To bind him to stuff he did as a kid is deeply destructive, and it encourages him to never grow up. Of course, we've got Peter Pan syndrome all over the world. I mean, for God's sakes, look at Beto O'Rourke and John Ossoff. Uh, neither of them want to grow up. It's just it's sad to see. When we come back, let's get into impeachment. If you don't know your numbers, you don't know your business. But the problem growing businesses have that keeps them from knowing their numbers, well, they got a bunch of different systems that don't work together. They've got one system for accounting. They've got another system for sales. They have another system for inventory and so on. It's just a big inefficient mess. Taking up too much time, too many resources, it hurts the bottom line. Introducing NetSuite by Oracle, the business management software that handles every aspect of your business in an easy-to-use cloud platform. It gives you the visibility and control you need to grow. With NetSuite, you save time, money, and unneeded headaches by managing sales, finance, and accounting orders, and HR instantly, right from your desktop or your phone. That's why NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system. Right now, NetSuite is offering you valuable insight with a free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, at netsuite.com slash eric. That's netsuite.com slash eric to download your free guide, Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits, netsuite.com slash eric. Hello and welcome back. It is Eric Erickson here, the Eric Erickson. And show the phone number if you want to be a part of the program 877-973-7425 one more real uh quick bit of georgia news before i move into impeachment and national stuff again uh governor kemp's budget director told lawmakers friday the governor's call to cut spending could mean job losses for state employees but making the government more efficient reducing costs in other areas is the priority kelly farr is the director of office of planning and budget and told a joint committee of House and Senate Appropriations uh, members that uh, the governor wants agencies to reduce other areas first, like staff travel, technology to slash costs, consider staff vacancies that may not need to be filled, uh, but there could be job cuts. Now, one of the things that has happened in some agencies is they have decided uh, to go for job cuts first. And the reason they're going for job cuts first is because they're essentially trying to call Governor Kemp's bluff on reforming and cutting state agencies. They think if they go for job cuts first, then the governor's going to say, wait, 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 maybe, maybe you don't need to cut anything. But the reality is the governor wants them to cut. And so essentially the governor is now calling their bluff and saying, if that's all you got to cut, guys, cut. And they're not really happy about that. Um, good for the governor standing up on this. Now, uh, I, I got to get into Tom uh, Holman. Tom Holman is the director of ICE. And he went to Capitol Hill. And he had a very testy exchange on immigration and the border. And I want to play that for you here. Yeah, I'd like to respond to Acting Chairman Jay Paul and your comment about the Trump administration moving money around for more detention beds. I'd like to remind you under the Obama administration, we did that most of the years he was president. We moved money around DHS. It's called reprogramming. We did that under the Obama administration. I, didn't, I don't remember any hearings on that. And also, I'd like to remind you that, that under the Obama administration, I mean, you're quick to point out that the cages were built under the Obama administration. I was there. Family detention, we had 100 family beds under the Obama administration. We built 3,000 more. So when there was a surge in FY14 and FY15 on the border, Congress was quick to give all the money we needed to build detention facilities, get transportation contracts. We reprogrammed money out of the majority of the years he was president. That was fine. 
Under Obama administration, FY12, we removed 409,000 people, half of what was removed last year. There was no hearings on that. So, I, I, you know, this is about transparency. Let's be, let's be factual about it. You know, it, it is very interesting how Democrats, they don't want to admit that this happened in the Obama administration. In fact, you know, Joe Biden on the campaign trail said that his administration would have never put kids in cages, and they're the ones who started it. It was, you listen, this guy, I like this guy, the director of ICE. He's willing to push back on these Democrats who are just trying to use him. And he gets it. He knows they're just, they're trying to push back on him. Uh, They are trying to uh, use him to attack the Trump administration. It really is interesting. I've seen several people point this out and it is true. It's fascinating to watch a group of Democrats who for months ran around with hair on fire saying we were running concentration camps suddenly move on to other things. Uh, they, they absolutely are moving on to other things. And, you know, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, poor her, uh, she had to go on TV with Chris Cuomo on CNN and essentially uh, wave the flag and say, please, 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 we, we need to talk about climate change, not impeachment. She wants to impeach the president, mind you, but she doesn't want to be distracted. I mean, what this all is, is us reaching into our pockets and deciding how we're already spending the money that we're already contributing to society. The problem is that America is at its wealthiest point that we've ever been, and yet we've, we are at one of our most unequal points that we've ever been. You would not know that our country is posting record profits because 40 million Americans are living in poverty right now. And if the poverty line was real, if it was at around what some people think it should be, about $38,000 a year, we would be shocked at how much the richest society on the planet mm. is is allowing so much of its people to live in destitute. So we're not talking about paying for somebody else. We're talking about getting our own rent under control. We're talking about not getting fleeced by our own landlords. Okay. We're talking about making sure that food is on, on our kids' tables. So this is not about other people. This is about saying if you contribute to our society. Okay, I, I've heard enough. Her. Can, can, can you imagine, that would Chris Cuomo let a Republican talk this much uninterrupted? Here's one more. You know, when we talk about impeachment and when we talk about you know small wins this is what we need to do in the short term but we need a plan for our country for the long term and right now i think that it's our responsibility to set that out to set out a long-term vision our benchmarks and to say this is where we want to go as a nation and we have to establish an advanced society here in the united states of america what that means is that we have to push the bounds we have to start treating housing as a right we need to start protecting renters we need to start updating the federal poverty line. Our last, our, our calculation for the federal poverty line is based on 1955 spending habits that assumes one income earner, a stay-at-home mom, and that's why we don't. I, I, I there's only so much of her I can, I can listen to. Um, she really doesn't want to talk about impeachment. And you know she wants me. I, I I would like to say maybe she's smart enough to realize the more she does, the 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 less they'll want. But she's just not that much of a bright person, is she? Um, but she does understand that we gotta. She's got to do something because the media now wants to move on. The media wants to move on to impeachment, and and there are no headlines on global warming out there right now. Uh, so we got to do something. Um, she's really concerned, for example, about the farting cows and got to do something about that. Are the farting cows a bigger danger than Donald Trump? I, I, I guess so. 
And now, Deep Thoughts by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. We set a goal to get to net zero rather than zero emissions in 10 years because we weren't sure that we'll be able to fully get rid of farting cows and airplanes that fast. That was Deep Thoughts by Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. The important thing you need to know about that is that was her actual words. She actually did write that. Uh, she she actually did write about getting rid of airplanes and farting cows. All right, we can move on from her. Uh, the The Great America PAC is a PAC supporting Donald Trump, and they're really embracing the Joe Biden stuff. I'm getting very angry emails from people you should know. Uh, not that you should know the people. You should know I'm getting the emails blasting me for not agreeing with John Solomon in the Hill. Um, I don't like the Hill. The Hill is a newspaper publication that on a social media feed repeatedly lies about the president. Uh, it actually, it lies about everybody, uh, left, right, and center, to try to get hate clicks on its news stories. I don't find it to be a reputable news organization. Uh, and while I have a great deal of respect for for John Solomon, I think John Solomon is out there uh, working an angle um, to endear himself to the president, and I don't agree with his conclusions. Uh, he certainly is weaving some elaborate stories as to into the uh, Ukraine stuff, and there are certainly people in Ukraine saying this stuff, but it doesn't mean it's true. I mean, all the people rushing to believe Joe Biden because Joe Biden said he had the guy fired— that it was Joe Biden who made the call, and so Joe Biden's on video saying this, we should believe him. When has anyone ever believed Joe Biden on anything? And suddenly we got to believe him? Um, but, you know, I mean, God bless them. They're out there running this story. It's a, You know, if Joe Biden isn't the Democratic nominee, where's that story get you? I, I guess it's just enough to get him through impeachment. There is a story there, but I don't think it's the Joe Biden story. But Great America Pack, it's out there. Man, it, it's hustling. What does white privilege really look like? Weeks after Joe Biden visits China as vice president, his son secures a private billion-dollar deal with the Bank of China. After Biden is named America's top diplomat to Ukraine, his son joins Ukraine's largest private gas producer with no relevant experience and lands another million-dollar deal. And before Ukraine's top prosecutor can investigate the shady dealings of Biden's son, he gets the prosecutor fired, then brags about it. I said, I'm telling you, you're not getting a billion dollars. I said, you're not getting a billion. I'm going to be leaving here. And I think it was, what, six hours? I looked, I said, I'm leaving in six hours. If the prosecutor's not fired, you're not getting the money. Well, son of a bitch. <laughs> you got fired. Instead of another failed presidential witch hunt, House Democrats should investigate one of their own, Joe Biden. Great America PAC is responsible for the content of this message. A couple of points here. It is a very, very relevant story and one the media does not want to tell that Hunter Biden seemed to uh, get all sorts of deals when his dad got um, when his dad got sweetheart deals or when his dad had business, I should say. Uh, Hunter Biden got sweetheart deals. The, the China situation, very relevant. The Ukraine situation, very relevant in the regard that Joe, Hunter Biden had no experience, no knowledge, no basis to to get this consulting contract, and yet he did as the Obama administration had business dealings with Ukraine. Uh, Joe Biden's brother getting a loan from a Ukrainian oligarch. Yeah, that's a story. There's, a, there's another story in there that um, Joe Biden's brother apparently promised 
some group something based on connections to Joe Biden. These are relevant stories. I always thought it was a relevant story. When Sharon Engel ran against uh, Harry Reid in Nevada and came very close to beating him, the the winning message for her is how did Harry Reid, a poor boxer from Searchlight, Nevada, wind up in a Ritz-Carlton um, penthouse in the Ritz-Carlton in Washington, D.C. as a government servant? And I think there are real lines of inquiry there. I think that there's an angle there that should not be underestimated. I think that it is a relevant issue in the general election against Joe Biden. Uh, how did his how did his family profit from his tenure as a civil servant? How did Joe Biden make the money he made as a civil servant? People understand people getting rich while working in government. Joe Biden has been his entire career in government service. How did he get rich? It's a relevant line of inquiry. How did his son, who has no experience in these areas, suddenly get jobs in these areas making lots of money and develop a cocaine habit? It's it's a relevant line of inquiry. But I don't care that Joe Biden went to Ukraine and had the said we're not giving you a billion dollars in loan guarantees if you don't fire this prosecutor because Joe Biden didn't have the power to do that. Only Barack Obama had that power, and he gave that power to Joe Biden because Barack Obama wanted it to happen. There are relevant inquiries, and and I guess what I'm getting at here is I think Republicans are muddying the water here themselves, and and they're not muddying the water just to obfuscate the Democrats. I, I mean, listen. All's fair and love war in politics, and Republicans want to muddy the water on this Joe Biden stuff and make it sound like there was a grand conspiracy and that that's why he was involved and we should be looking at that. I definitely think there are things to look at with Joe Biden and his son and, and the family getting wealthy, uh, but I think that there's a distraction. The, the Republicans are distracting themselves. By trying to make this about Joe Biden, they are ignoring uh, that the Democrats have been out to get the president. I mean, for God's sakes, the entire Republican argument for keeping them in power in 2018 was the Democrats were going to do this. The Republicans to now be over there saying, see, see, look, 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 look at the Democrats. Look at, look at Joe Biden. Look at Joe Biden. Look at Joe Biden. It completely muddies their message that this is democratic opportunism. Frankly, I, I think the Republicans have a case to make that there's some funny business going on with this whistleblower complaint. I mean, I want to play you this audio again. This is Devin Nunes talking to uh, Admiral McGuire, the acting director of national intelligence, uh, inquiring about who leaked the whistleblower complaint. How do we even know about the whistleblower complaint? So what I'm trying to, to ascertain is how would it run in all the mainstream media outlets? How did they get, even though they got a lot of it wrong, but they had the basics of it, that it involved the, the president of the United States talking to a foreign leader. So did anybody, you or anybody in your office leak this to the Washington Post or NBC News? Ranking member, I lead the intelligence community. We know how to keep a secret. Uh, as far as how that got into the press, I really do not know, sir. I just know that it's all over the place, and as you said, it's been reported by different uh, uh, media for the past several weeks. Where they get their information from, I don't know. Maybe you should investigate. I don't know. Um, but there's an issue there, is there not? Where did the whistleblower complaint come from? Why were the rules on what you can put and not put in whistleblower complaints changed 
shortly before this whistleblower complaint came out. Because they were. They actually were. Why? Was it a coincidence? Was it a coincidence that this whistleblower just happened to comply with the, the changed rules that came out very soon before? How, how did this all happen? Because I don't really believe it was a single concerned whistleblower. I, I really do think there were other people there. And I think there's a line of inquiry for the Republicans to raise suspicions and show the Democrats have been out to get Donald Trump all along. And they're coordinating with the intelligence community to do it. This this Joe Biden, he's he did this to help his son and there's an elaborate grand conspiracy there. No, I mean, Joe Biden couldn't do it. Joe Biden was the vice president. The vice presidency, what is it, John Nance Garner, the, the, the vice president, or John Garner, John Gantz Garner? John Gantz, John Nance Garner referred to the vice presidency as a warm bucket of spit. That's the usefulness of the vice presidency. It has no power at all. To suddenly say Joe Biden had some sort of power to do something as vice president makes no sense. But it makes a lot of sense that there were partisans working behind the scenes with the Democrats in Congress to coordinate the rollout of this whistleblower complaint to impeach the president. And that would cast aspersions on the impeachment process. And Republicans have so distracted themselves by the Biden stuff, they're not paying attention to that. Okay, I, I, I got a confession to make. You know, we, we've got the the voice that says, you know, you can text the word ARMY to 33777. If you text the word ARMY to 33777, what actually happens is... You, you sign up to an email list where you rarely get an email. You get an email when there's a call to action. So, for example, um, for people who live in Rome, you text ARMY to 33777. Uh, you may get an email from me with the members of the Rome City Commission, uh, their contact information, so you can raise uh, holy hell with them about the, the stoplight issue or the, the uh, traffic camera issue, the speed detection devices. Um, it, you don't get a daily email or anything. You only get action alerts. Um, if you text show to 33777, you'll get a link to the podcast. You'll also get, I uh, send out a daily email with all the news conservatives need to know. And you can get that if you text recipe to 33777. Well, every week you'll get a recipe. I did send out the corn fruit recipe yesterday. Um, in any event, um, you, you can, you can get those different ones. You can also be a part of this program if you'd like by calling 877-973-7425. 877-973-7425 is the phone number. You, you know, I had a caller yesterday, was it Tom in, in Gainesville, who said, I've been trying to call, and it took me forever to realize that 877-97-ERIC was E-R-I-C-K. So now I feel obligated to say 877-973-7425 because uh, you know, so many people spell their name without the K. I'm E-R-I-C-K. But nonetheless, I, I move on. Uh, someone has put on Twitter, uh, I bought a new Jeep. I named it Elizabeth Warren because it's white, but says it's a Cherokee. <laughs> Man, I, I, I gotta, I gotta tell you, I really do think that it's going to be brilliant to have Elizabeth Warren against President Trump and watching that slugfest. Because I've always thought Biden would be harder for Trump to beat because everybody already knows Joe Biden, and, and people like Joe Biden. You and I may think that Joe Biden's a partisan hack for the Democrats, but independent voters overall, they have a, a positive favorability rating for Joe Biden. 
He has a very sympathetic story. They they really do like Joe Biden out there. Uh, they they think he was vice president for uh, for Barack Obama. And whether you and I like Barack Obama, the average American actually liked Barack Obama. In fact, the average American liked Barack Obama more than they like Donald Trump. Even Republicans actually kind of like Barack Obama. They just didn't like the job he did. Now, I know you and I are in the camp. I'm not a Barack Obama fan at all. But in contrast to Donald Trump, there are a lot of people who are like, you know, I, I'll go with, go with, I don't understand them, but they're there. And I, so I think that Biden was always going to be harder to beat. But Warren, I mean, my goodness, she's, she's just, I don't think she's as good as people think she is. Now, I mean, you know, Republicans, sh- be careful what you wish for. The Democrats wish for Trump and they got him. Look what happened. But, you know. For two ethics plans, could you say whether or not under Warren administration, would your vice president's child be allowed to serve on a board of a foreign company? No. Why I don't, I don't, I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I have to go back and look at the details. Do you think plan. that could be a problem? I, I have to go back and look. She doesn't want to take a position against Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. She doesn't want to get dragged into it. Well, she says no, uh, and, and then why? Well, I don't know. She's having a real hard time there, and we're going to have more of this on the campaign trail. I will tell you this. As it looks more and more like she's going to be the nominee, she's doing something, and I guess it's smart of her to do. She is out there becoming even more progressive in her positions on what she wants. And I suspect that this could blow up in her face, but she's willing to do it. And she's pushing Joe Biden now in an interesting position over just how far left to move. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number 877-973-7425, 877-973-7425. The media has come up. Where they talk, and again, you hear this stuff and you think this is coordination. I, I, I do, I was with CNN for three years and Fox News for five. And there are definitely email lists and now Slack chat groups where people in the media talk to each other and someone has a good idea and they say, oh, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do that too. And, and they all pick it up. And a lot of it is one person parroting someone else. It's not coordinated. Sometimes it is though. Sometimes it is. And listen to this. You can decide for yourself whether it's just one genius said something and the rest of them ran with it or it's coordinated. This one sounds coordinated. This president in his conversations with the president of Ukraine was speaking like an organized crime boss. Uh, He said this was classic mafia style talk. uh, Absolutely. You don't need to be explicit to set up a shady deal. I mean... If you've ever watched any mafia, anything. I mean, to people who see this kind of stuff in movies, uh, you see mob bosses doing it. Anyone who watches mob movies knows that's not how it happens. Um, This strikes me as a call that's really more appropriate um, to be reading a transcript of from a mob wiretap. This is how a mafia boss talks. We always have people talking about how Donald Trump speaks like a mobster. I don't like these mafia-like tactics to try to intimidate witnesses. We see this from mob bosses. We do not see this from presidents. What those notes reflect is a classic mafia-like shakedown of a foreign leader. He gets the mob talk. Donald Trump sought to run U.S. foreign policy the way Tony Soprano ran his crime family. Shaking people down is what he does. He doesn't know how to do anything else. He thinks he's Tony Soprano. And in a lot of ways, he is Tony Soprano. They're both overweight mouth breathers who are disappointed with their sons. There you go. Mob boss, mob boss, everything's a mob boss. Uh, Just, well, you know, everything's a mob boss 
And on the Republican side, it's all a hoax, which sounds more legit to me. Here's uh, Devin Nunez and Jim Jordan. I haven't heard from Jim in a while. Jim's a good friend, good guy. Uh, listen to this. Uh, they, they got fair points here. Bottom line is this was a sad, sad day for America. You're seeing the destruction of one of America's finest institutions, the U.S. Congress. If it can't get any lower, it got it even lower today. And so it doesn't, it, it doesn't make me proud to, to be in there today. I mean, it was, it was really miserable uh, for us to sit there and watch the other side actually fabricate statements that they assign to the United States president. Uh, this is really, it's really just, it's, it's unhinged. It's just unhinged. Uh, and, and it needs to stop. And, you know, as we get to the, you know, we look forward to this whole uh, whistleblower uh, coming in to testify. Uh, this is going to be really interesting as we start to get to the bottom of and peel back the onion. And I think what you're going to find again, it's going to be the same people uh, behind that were behind the Russia hoax are behind the Ukrainian hoax. And Jim Jordan, it's not a whistleblower. It's hearsay. Oh, uh, yeah. people told me, and uh, okay, and it looks really official the way it's all written up. And Inspector General didn't know the contents of the phone call and said this is arguably political bias, and the DOJ investigated it. No action warranted. That was like less than 24 hours. And the Ukrainian president denies being pressured, as does the foreign minister. Right, so right. So de debunked again, except it didn't take three years this time. Sean, our committee, the Oversight Committee, probably deals with more whistleblowers than any other committee in Congress. When a whistleblower comes forward, you look for two things, two things to assess their credibility. One, were they an eyewitness? Did they have firsthand knowledge? Two, what was their motivation? This so-called whistleblower has problems in both areas. He never was on the, never was on part of the call, never had firsthand knowledge, and the Inspector General even tells us that, that he had a political bias. He says, indicia of arguable political bias. That's Washington speak for this guy was out to get the president. Yep. So this guy's got trouble on both accounts. And now we find out there was no quid pro quo when you read the transcript. But there was with Joe Biden. See, I don't think there was with Joe Biden either. Um, I think that muddies the water. But there was no quid pro quo. I mean, if you're just tuning in here. In the very first hour, the New York Times, Ken Vogel from the New York Times is reporting that the Ukrainians had no knowledge of any money being withheld. When the president talked to Ukraine's president, remember the president had held up the money a week before the phone call, but Ukraine did not know. The Ukraine government had no knowledge that the money was withheld. How can you have a quid if there's no quo? How can you have a quo if there's no quid? They're, they had no knowledge. And when you don't know about the quid, you can't have a quo. If they're called making a quid, I guess I, not quite as catchy, but you get my point here. I mean, how how can you have a quid pro quo when there's no quid? They didn't find out about it until uh, more than a month after the phone call. And then within two weeks, the money was released. Now, I, I, I got to walk you through something, though. Everybody keeps saying hearsay, hearsay, hearsay. What do they mean by hearsay? I mean, in general, I think you understand that hearsay is when, when someone who didn't have direct knowledge repeats what others said. But there's actually a legal definition for what hearsay is. It's an out-of-court statement taken for the truth of the matter asserted. So when you say something in court that you heard other people say out of court, you can't say that uh, as proof of what they said. So, for example, I testify, I heard Donald Trump tell Ukraine's president 
you can't have your money until you investigate Joe Biden. That's hearsay. I can't tell you what the president said to Ukraine's president as proof of what happened. I can tell you I heard the president talk to Ukraine's president. I can't tell you what they said because that would be hearsay. I can tell you they did talk. Neil Bortz on WSB in Atlanta had a very famous bit of audio. Boo got shot. I want to play for you Boo getting shot. And so you can understand Boo getting shot. Uh-huh, she was taking real bad news. Pictures, they got shot. They got shot. I said, who, who? She said, Boo got shot. Boo got shot. I said, oh, my God. Oh, my God. We just saw it. My sister had called somebody. Up here. She called my cousin, Pankin, just stayed up. She called her, and Pankin told her that she was on the phone with police. And Chi-Chi, she had left out, and she went and got in her car. She bailed out. And when she left out, then when I heard gunshot again, and when I heard gunshot, and I seen some boy had run in the building over back that way, he ran that building, I seen that car just flew off, and then I seen a long gun, a big old gun in the car. Now, I, I, I'm not going to play uh, the, the, the Royal Marshal translation here, but I, I do want to walk you through um, Pumpkin and Chi-Chi and, and our, our fine, intrepid relayer of facts to the reporter of Boo getting shot. Now, you should know Boo lived, and it really made Pumpkin mad that Boo lived. Boo, uh, Pumpkin wanted Boo to die, apparently, uh, from what Neil Bortz has told me. But let, let's just let's walk through this. Uh-huh. She was taking real bad news. Pigeon, they got shot. They got shot. I said, who, who? She said. Pigeon was told that someone got shot. That's hearsay. Pigeon cannot tell a court that someone got shot because she didn't see anyone got shot. She can just say that someone relayed, someone was an eyewitness to her. She does not know who got shot. Now she knows that from from Pumpkin told Pigeon that Boo got shot. That too is hearsay because Pigeon is not an eyewitness. That's that's hearsay. We're we're relying on her to relate what someone else saw. She didn't see it. Oh my god! Oh my god! We just saw it. My sister had called somebody up here. She called my cousin Pankin just stayed up. She called her and Pankin told her that she was on the phone with Pauline and she. That is hearsay. Chi-Chi is the cousin, and Chi-Chi and Pumpkin were on the phone together, and Pumpkin says that she called the police. Our witness here, Pigeon, Pigeon can't tell us what Pumpkin said because it's hearsay. She's relating the conversation of two other people. That is definitionally hearsay. She had left out, and she went and got in her car. She bailed out, and when she left out, then when I heard gunshot again. Now, Pigeon admits she heard the gunshot. Pigeon left out. She can't she can't tell the court what Pumpkin actually did, but Pigeon herself heard the gunshot. And when I heard gunshot and I seen some boy had run in the building over back This is eyewitness testimony. This is no longer hearsay. We're now Pigeon is telling us what Pigeon herself saw. That that somebody was running. She heard a gunshot and someone was running. He ran that building. I seen that car just flew off and then I seen a long gun. She sees someone with a long barrel rifle. A big old gun in the car. Someone in the car has a long gun. Pigeon saw someone in the car with a long barrel gun. That is eyewitness testimony. Pigeon saw somebody run off. That is eyewitness testimony. 
She can't tell you what Punkin and Chi-Chi said to each other, nor can she relate in a court of law what Punkin said to the police, which she tried to do here to the reporter. That's all hearsay. What she could relate is what she herself experienced and saw. That's what the whistleblower is all hearsay. The whistleblower is in a, in a, a, basically telling us the conversation between Chi-Chi and Punkin. We have no idea what Chi-Chi and Punkin actually said. The whistleblower would have us know that what they said is gospel truth, but we don't know. We haven't interviewed them. you got to interview them. Now, I, I, I guess I should. I, I guess I should actually do this. I'm, I'm getting questions from people of what actually happened. So I, I, I guess I should, just out of, out of just general courtesy for you, I should relate what actually happened through the translations of, of the late great Royal Marshal, uh, who was Neil Board's uh, producer and board operator at WSB, who uh, could speak street language and interpret for everyone. from nervousness. Peaches, they got shot, they got shot. Someone has been wounded. The whole, whole. I inquired as to who the victim was. Ooh, she said, Boo got shot. Boo has suffered a gunshot wound. Boo got shot. Boo has become the victim of another violent crime. I said, oh my God, oh my God. Oh me, oh my. We just saw it. My sister had called somebody up here. My sibling telephoned another relative. She called my cousin Pumpkin to stay In fact, it was my cousin Pumpkin who lives in this very same community. She called her and Pumpkin told her that she was on the phone with Pauline. Punkin was already on the phone with the local authorities. And Chi-Chi, she had left out. Chi-Chi had already departed. She went and got in her car, she bailed out. She found her vehicle and put it in reverse. And when she left out, then when I heard gunshot again. As she was departing, a shot rang out, piercing the cold night air. And when I heard gunshot and I seen some boy had run in the building over back that way. Apparently, the perpetrator was seeking cover behind a local building. He ran that building. It was that building over there. And I seen that car just flew off. I saw the car depart with a rapid acceleration. And then I seen a long gun. I saw a firearm of substantial caliber. A big old gun. I mean substantial caliber. The boy was in the back seat. He had a big old long gun. In fact, it was the gentleman in the back seat who had the firearm with the extended barrel. That that's the the actual interpretation. Just so you understand what 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 happened the night Boo got shot. But it, it's a good demonstration of hearsay versus direct evidence. Pigeon heard a lot of things that night. A lot of people told Pigeon that she was at the center of what happened. Thankfully, not being shot though. But a lot of people felt compelled to tell her what was going on that night. And she relayed it to the reporter at WSB Radio in Atlanta. But she could not relate that information in actual testimony. She could only relate that she heard shots and saw someone run away and saw a gentleman in a car with a long-barreled gun. That's, that's the extent of what Pigeon actually knows. Now, you should know Boo did live. Boo, Boo survived the shooting. Punkin apparently outraged that whoever shot Boo didn't do a good enough job. I don't know that they ever found who actually shot Boo. All we know is Boo got shot, and Punkin and Pigeon were witnesses to it. There is your lesson on what hearsay evidence is and is not. And the whistleblower is very much like Pigeon telling us what Punkin and Chi-Chi said to each other. The whistleblower doesn't have direct knowledge of any of this. And now it's coming out 
happening now while I'm on the radio here. It, it is uh, 11.49 a.m. And now we're learning that, yes, the White House is admitting that they did put the transcript of the president's phone call with the Ukrainian president in a secure server. But it had become standard operating procedure for the president and his team to do that. Why? Because on multiple occasions, members of the intelligence community had leaked transcripts of phone calls to the press, including the transcript of the call with the Mexican leader and the Australian leader. And because of that, they had it had become standard operating procedure for the president to put these phone calls in a secure system where people who would leak them could not get them. And that's a plausible excuse. And in fact, it's an excuse you have to recognize has merit considering just how often intelligence community members leaked stuff to try to embarrass the president. Y'all, we are not safe as a country when the president cannot trust the intelligence community. And at this point, the president cannot trust the intelligence community. And I'm not sure any of us can. The Democrats are going to have to do something about this mess of theirs in, in their primary. Uh, this, this isn't a good situation for them. Joe Biden is now thinking of doing a wealth tax. He wants to do a, a Wall Street tax because Warren and Sanders are moving so far to the left as quickly as they possibly can to the left. Um, here, this is this is Bernie Sanders now on health care. In the United States, we spend twice as much per capita on health care as do the people of any other nation. And despite all of that spending, you got 87 million people who are uninsured and underinsured. You got 5,000 people, 500,000 people a year who go bankrupt and 30,000 people die. And we pay by far the highest prices in the world for prescription drugs. So while all people, all so many people are uninsured or underinsured, it turns out that the healthcare industry last year made a hundred billion dollars in profit. The function of healthcare is to provide quality care to all people, not huge profits. But a lot of these people like it. Back up. Uh, now, I need to put something in perspective because we, we have a lot of, um, what about England? What about Canada? What, what about all these other countries? We should have health care like them. We should have socialist health care systems. The United States ranks number three in the world in population. China has 1.4 billion people and India has 1.3 billion people. India is actually expected to exceed China within the next five years. The growth rate in Indian population is 1%. The growth rate in China is 0.4%. Chinese urban population is 60%. In India, it's 35%. In the United States, we are number three in population. 329 million people. 82% of Americans live in uh, developed urban areas. Let's see. Uh, you got to go all the way down to 21 to find the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom has 67 million people. It is a, a nation 21%, um, or I'm sorry, 20, 21st in population, 67 million compared to 329 million in the United States, 83% urban population. Got to go all the way to 21 to get to the UK. Let's see, where's Canada? Because we, we say Canada. Canada's 30, 39. Canada's 39, 37 million people. So here, here's, here's the thing. The United States has way more people than Canada and the UK combined. I mean, more than double the people 
of those countries combined. More than double. You can't have a universal socialist healthcare system like that. And the United States is much more geographically diverse. We have many more um, racial groups than either Canada or the UK. We have many more regions than, than those countries do. The South is not the same as the Midwest, is not the same as Texas, is not the same as Appalachia, is not the same as the Southwest, is not the same as New York, is not the same as the Northwest, is not the same as Hawaii, is not the same as Florida, is not the same as the, the Great Lakes. It's really hard to design a national one-size-fits-all system in the United States when there are that many people in that many diverse areas. And yet the Democrats completely ignore that issue. And they're, they're moving further and further left on this issue now. Here, here's Cory Booker. My point is that we need to get to a point of Medicare for all. I think that's the best system if we're going to design this from scratch. But I also am very realistic that know that, it, that that's something we won't be able to shift to. We need a glide path. So a lot of that is creating a public option that can compete with uh, private insurers. It will be, in my opinion, a much better option for people to move into. Um, and Do you then, think healthcare is a commodity or a right? Because if we talk about competing, it's a commodity. If we talk about it's a right, right then it's a totally different paradigm. It, it is a fundamental right. You can't have life, liberty, and then pursue the happiness. A very fundamental American ideal, unless you have access to healthcare. Oh my gosh! Somebody tell George Washington. Somebody tell Thomas Jefferson. You, you his, the Declaration of First, it was a lie because of slavery, and now it's a lie because they didn't have healthcare back then. They didn't have health care back then. How could you have life, liberty, or the pursuit of happiness if you did not have health care, Thomas Jefferson? You liar. Lies. All lies. You'll forgive me for yelling. This is nonsense. To actually say you can't have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness without health care? Seriously? Where was this country as we became the number one global superpower when we didn't have any of this stuff? I mean, how was it possible that we were able to get so far as a nation without any of this stuff? And now suddenly we can't go beyond this moment in time until we get this stuff. We got to take this, this, this next leap. It's that's garbage. It's all nonsense. But this is where we are as a nation with the Democrats, and there's going to spook a lot of people headed into November next year who are going to stay with Donald Trump if they don't like him because the Democrats have gone so far off the deep end. And then they'll think the Ukrainians stole the election or some such. Absolutely crazy that this is where we are. You guys have a great weekend. I will be here on Monday.